Let's give a round of applause for our fathers out there. I'm a, I was actually pleasantly reminded, I'm really excited for this morning, I was pleasantly reminded this morning by my grandmother that last year on Father's Day, I got to preach at a church in South Haven, Michigan. Anyone been there before? South Haven, Michigan? There were a few stragglers in last service. A couple over here? South Haven's beautiful. Go if you get the chance. I was preaching at Hope Reformed Church in South Haven. It was very special because it was a Father's Day, and my dad was there as well, and he was actually leading worship, doing the music, and I was doing the preaching. It was great fun. That would be pretty special, but it was doubly special because for the first time and uh, only time in my life that it may ever happen, my grandfather was also there. My grandfather is a retired minister, and he drove five hours south from Traverse City. His mind isn't quite as sharp as it used to be, but he was able to lead the prayers throughout the service. And so we got to have three generations of us leading this worship service together, which was just really special to be a part of. My son, Jace, was roaming around somewhere in the building, too. So really four generations. Although he was more distracting than helping. Um, yeah, but it was really profound. And I, I hope that you today um, get in some way to remember and to celebrate those. And that was, that was especially profound for me because <clears throat> being here, I miss being able to see them. And also, it's more and more apparent how few of those opportunities are going to keep coming, right? I would love and I pray that my grandpa would live for another 20 years. It's just unlikely. And regardless, death will eventually come for him. Yeah. And so I don't want to miss either that the Father's Day that we celebrate today is really special and really joyous, but for many of us also pretty tragic. I'm fortunate enough to have a living father who I can celebrate with. Not all of us here are. But I'm reminded on days like today of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. People are weak. <laughs> can I say that? We're like grass is how the scriptures put it. It grows up one day, and then just the very next dries and withers away. But we have an everlasting Lord who has an everlasting and enduring love and who invites us in that everlasting love to share in his everlasting life with one another. And because of him, right, we can celebrate even on days like today. I'm reminded of Jesus' words. These are from Mark chapter 3. If you're familiar with this, it's a peculiar story. Jesus is teaching in a household, and there's so many people gathered. His mother and his brothers try and find him. You remember the story? And they can't get in because there's too many people, so they play that game of telephone like you did in elementary school, and they whisper in one person's ear, and then it makes its way all the way to the front. And finally, some person says, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are, are looking for you. And Jesus was like, oh, cool, let me, go, let me go get them. No, that's not what he says. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And you'd think a guy as smart as Jesus Christ would remember who his mother was. No, didn't happen. He looked around at those seated very appropriately in the circle around him. So I want you to look at each other. And he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. So look. Here we are together on this Father's Day, gathered with our brothers and our sisters and our mothers, with our one single father. Praise, praise the Lord. I'm grateful, despite the distance from my nuclear family, that this family is true, that you are my mother, 
my brothers, my sisters, and that on this Father's Day, we can celebrate that we have one Father together, and that in life and in death, in nearness and in distance, God, our Father, is building us up into one family. Praise the Lord. Until the day that we stand together, people gathered from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, across the whole globe and throughout all of history, at the one wedding banquet of our Lord. That gets me excited. That's reason to celebrate. But that day's not here yet. Day's not here yet. Last week, Eric introduced us to lament. We're starting this series on lament. We finished the series on healing, and we just dove headfirst into lament. Now, raise your hands. You at home, too. I know you're there. Raise your hands if you, before this series started, were familiar with the concept of lament. That was something that you're pretty familiar with. A few of us scattered. More than first service, so pat yourself on the back. How many of you would say that lament is a practice, a discipline of the faith that you are skilled or regularly practicing? A couple of us. It's rare. In fact, it's kind of a lost discipline. It's something that, that in fact, runs quite countercultural to American life. Hear me out on this. He, he shared with us, that is Pastor Eric, last week, an image to help us remember this concept of lament and why, why we're doing it. Do you remember he had two things? I wish I had these objects up with me today, but I don't have them anymore. On the one hand, he held a cross, and on the other hand, he held a crucifix. And what was the difference? On the cross, it's just the symbol, like we've got up there. But on the crucifix, the body of Jesus is still resting there. And in the Protestant tradition, coming out of the Catholic tradition, like he explained yesterday, we, we, we want to remember that, that the gospel of Christ is a joyous thing. This is good news. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. The stone was rolled away, and it's empty, and we can celebrate and rejoice in that fact. This is good, and this is true, and yet... Like Eric reminded us, Jesus' own words to us are, pick up your cross daily and carry it. We can say without a shadow of a doubt, all will be well. All will be well, and all matter of things shall be well. Is all well? No. And we're reminded of the burden that Jesus carried on our behalf and that he invites us to carry as well on behalf of one another, of the pain and of the struggle that still exists in the world, of the lack of peace, of the need for justice. We've got a series on Acts coming. I'm super excited for it. We're going to talk about the empty cross. Acts is all about the apostles going all around the world saying, he's resurrected from the dead. That's good. But in order to get there, we've got to go through the cross. And so we're not going to shy away from lament and from grief, but we're going to sit here for a moment and learn it. This is hard for us. Pastor Eric taught us a bunch of things last week about lament. I would love to see these. Let's put these up on the slide. We'll just go through these real quick to rack your brain again. He said, lament allows us to pray in these ways, to pray that God's grace would temper his discipline. Do you remember this? That God's grace would temper his discipline. This is good news, but again, I'm going to argue, this is hard for us, because despite how much we love grace and the idea of not being disciplined, at least I love that, 
what does praying this type of prayer require? It requires an admission that you deserve discipline, right? If I'm going to pray that God would give me grace and mercy instead of discipline, it's because I know in my heart of hearts that discipline is what I deserve and that grace is what I need. And that's hard for us. I don't want to admit that I'm not a good person. <laughs> but to pray this prayer requires a self-awareness that, no, in fact, I'm not a good person. I'm in need of grace. He also taught us that, that lament and praying lament allows us to pray this prayer. How long? This is hard for us. It's easier to understand why on this one. I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. How long implies that this might go on for a long time. That's no fun. And even more than that, I think, for some of us, it's a challenging prayer to pray because it requires us to recognize that we are not in control of how long it lasts. Don't you wish that you knew the times and the dates and the hours that Jesus says even the Son doesn't know? How long? He taught us that this helps us to pray. We get to appeal to the unfailing love of the Lord. This is a good one. We all like this one. But again, it's hard. Why do I have to appeal for it? Why can't I just feel it all the time? Wouldn't that be better? So even that's hard. We get to pray. And through lament, we pray. We get to reason with God. And that just sounds like a lost cause. <laughs> I can't win that reasoning battle. And yet, we reason with the Lord, and our minds are shaped into his. We get to cry out in our pain and lament. You remember from Psalm 6. This is hard. Why the pain in the first place? I want to skip ahead to the empty cross. That sounds better. Through the cross. Lament is counterintuitive, in fact, to many of our cultural values. And let me, let me try and argue this. Um, I'm thinking especially today as, as Father's Day. Do any of you have a father who used the expression with you that you need to keep a stiff upper lip? A little bit? Not so much? Mikey was sitting right there before. He was all about it, last service. How many of us were told growing up or are familiar with this idea of being taught not to cry. Crying is not something you do. Yeah, ring a bell a little bit. That was true of me, not in a malicious way, but you gotta be tough, right? Or maybe this, to pick yourself up off the ground and just keep going. It's great. To be tough generally, when you taught that, yeah. And these actually are really good, these are appropriate things to teach a child. We need to learn to keep a stiff upper lip. In some ways, that's really helpful. Keeps you from just spouting out nonsense or reacting to things in an unhealthy way. We, we keep a tight lip, right? We don't pout. We stay strong. Should we cry all the time? Of course not. Are there times to cry? Maybe. Pick yourself up off the ground and keep going? Absolutely. Teach your kids that. The problem is that these lessons are mixed with a much more unhealthy, insidious set of ideologies that we may not even recognize we carry with us. But I'm going to venture to guess it's true for a lot of us. What about this one? Did you learn some way or another growing up that asking for help was a sign of weakness? 
Yeah? We, the, I love that video. Thank Natalie for finding that video for us on Father's Day. Hilarious. Uh, I, I love the one the father says uh, uh, in here, what he doesn't say. We are totally lost, right? Why? Because we've all had dads, or at least maybe a lot of us, that are never lost. Don't ask for directions. Don't ask for these things. Why? Because somehow ingrained in their mind is this idea that asking for help is a sign of weakness. And what is bad? A weakness is bad. What about this one? That showing emotion is a sign of weakness. Any of you grow up in an environment where that was the case? Except for maybe passion. It was a sign of strength. No, but emotion is a sign of weakness. Is insidious and unhelpful. What about this one? That talking out loud about your problems with someone is just complaining or is another sign of weakness. True? Grow up in an environment where you couldn't come to your parents. You couldn't come to others with, with issues that you were dealing with, but instead you were taught to keep them, figure it out, that sort of thing. There's a problem in our culture with lament. It's foreign to us, and we don't know how to do it. In lament, this is one of the last things Eric taught us, we get to cry out for justice. We acknowledge that there is not justice in places there ought to be, and we cry out for it. I propose in our American culture, we've got a mindset ingrained deep within us. In America, we make our own justice. You see the difference? Brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to lament. It's vital for us to learn how to lament. And not just to learn about lament. We need to learn what it is. We need to learn about it. But more importantly, we need to learn how to lament. And the only way to learn how to do something is to practice doing it. And so today, the service is going to be a little different because you're going to be invited to an assignment to write a lament. Do, ever, do all of you have a bulletin? Does everyone of you grab a bulletin on the way in? You'll need a bulletin today. Do you have a writing utensil? You'll need a writing utensil today. If not, please raise your hand and an usher will come by and provide them for you. Well, you're not paying that much attention. I'm just going to blabber around for a little while. I had a professor once who told me that uh, in order for me to know what I think, I had to write it down. And he wasn't saying that you can't think on your own, right? You can obviously process in your head. But there's something about being forced to articulate clearly, pen to paper, what's going on in your head that, that actually helps you process in a new way. And that's true of your thoughts and your, your mental state and your understanding of things. It's also true of what our heart is speaking what our emotions are speaking. Sometimes we just let those emotions, those words swirl around and they never get grounded. And by writing them down, we actually have the process or the opportunity to heal. Does everyone have what they need? It's also true though, how do you become a good writer? There's a trick question. That was the right answer based on what I said before. No, it's different by reading. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna read first. So if you've got a Bible, Pull your Bible out. You at home, grab a Bible as well. And the instructions are the same for you. If you, um, you weren't able to get a bulletin when you came in, but ask the moderator in the chat to share with you a link to the outline. Um, or just grab a pen and paper. You'll be able to do it just fine from there. And turn in your Bible or open on your phone 
is Psalm 137. And in order for us to lament, we're going to keep hearing how the people of Israel lamented. Y'all there? Getting there? Hear these words. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Why is this in the Bible? That's brutal. Let's hear it again. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. When we remembered Zion... There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. This is the word of the Lord. And we say, thanks be to God. Maybe it's a more difficult thanks be to God than in other texts. <laughs> you familiar with this one? You familiar with this psalm? Pastor Eric said a really wonderful word last week as well. He said it, he was taught while he was studying that everything that's in the psalms, you can pray. Would you feel comfortable praying this psalm? It's a wild one. One of the things that's kind of peculiar about it is how focused it is on Jerusalem. And I know that's not the thing that you're all focusing on. But there's this phrase that's repeated over and over, I will remember Jerusalem, right? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Why Jerusalem? Well, I think in order to, to understand the psalm a little better and to have it help us learn to lament we should understand Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is more than just a city, right? When God looked out at the whole of the world that was broken and in need of help, he could have called anybody his people, 
and chosen them to represent himself. But he chose specifically a man named Abraham. And out of Abraham, very specifically, a family was born, right? That became the people of Israel. And Israel was enslaved, and God didn't forget that he chose them, but he actually focused on this group of slaves to be his people, to represent him. And they were brought out by his mighty hand of Egypt into the promised land that became Israel. I hope we're familiar with this story. If not, that's about it. There's a lot of details, but it's okay. This is kind of the, the gist. And a man comes along that God anoints to be king named David. God made this covenant long ago with Abraham that the people of Abraham would be his chosen people to be a blessing to the world. And he made another covenant with this man named David. David was chosen to be king by God, and he united all the tribes of Israel into one place, and he unified them, and he set up a central capital at what city? Any guesses? Jerusalem. And David was in Jerusalem, and he said, God, why are you living in a tent? I want to build you a beautiful temple, glorious and large. And God said, nope, not going to happen. But I'm going to do something for you. I'm making a promise to you, a covenant promise with you, that a child, a son, and your line will forever reign on the throne in Jerusalem over my people. It's the Davidic covenant, the kingly promise, that at Jerusalem, on the throne, from the time of David into forevermore, would be a king in his line. Pretty good promise. Pretty beautiful promise. And it gave the people of Israel lots of confidence. Jerusalem was where the presence of the Lord dwelt. It was their communal center, right? They'd go back there for festivals year after year. Everything was centered around Jerusalem. And they could be confident in Jerusalem because they were confident in God. And what did God say about Jerusalem? At least in their interpretation of it, there would always be a king on the throne. And if there's no throne, there can't be a king. So what would not ever happen to the throne? It couldn't be destroyed. Right? This was the mindset of the people of Israel, that Israel itself, and specifically Jerusalem, the line of David was essentially indestructible, that God, having chosen them of all the people, was going to protect this one thing. Nothing did they cherish more than Jerusalem. Because that's where the Lord was. That's where the promise was grounded. And so when the Assyrians came and started to invade the people of Israel, now the tribes, uh, excuse me for short, shorthanding all this, the, the people of the north in Israel and Judah in the south, the Assyrians came and they took out the people of the north. But Jerusalem, did it fall? No, of course, because Jerusalem couldn't fall. Hezekiah famously, right, dug the tunnel, saved the people by God's hand. The Babylonians come now about 150 years later. The Babylonians are the new world force, powerhouse, and they come and they lay siege to Jerusalem and they're very powerful and the people hide out and what are they saying? They're saying, Jerusalem can't fall. Jerusalem can't fall. God promised. We're the chosen people. Things are going to be good. And if you want, I encourage you to read the book of Jeremiah who throughout his prophetic life is trying to tell them things are not going to be as good as you think they're going to be, and the Babylonians conquer Jerusalem. And not only do they conquer Jerusalem, but in front of the very last king in the line of David, they take him, they tie him down, and they line up all of his sons in front of him, all his children, and in front of his eyes, they slaughter them. 
and then they gouge his eyes out so that that was the last thing that he ever saw. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rock. When Jerusalem was overtaken, the whole rug was cut out from under them. Was that a time to celebrate? Rejoice to leap in the air? No. It's a time to mourn, a time to grieve. Another thing I think that's challenging, besides just the peculiarity of Jerusalem in Psalm 137, is its graphic description of violence. I don't like reading this psalm any of the times that I read it. And I apologize for this example, but I think it's important for us to realize we have grown very distant from violence. Does this make sense? Not necessarily in a way that is healthy. Violence feels foreign to us. Now, think back. There was a time not that many years ago where, and again, I apologize for this, but I think it's important. If I wanted to kill a man, I had to look him right in the eye and be right next to him. There was no other way. Sword, dagger, something. Be right in your face. And I smell and taste it, and I see your humanity. Eventually, guns were invented, right? But they didn't shoot very far, and they weren't very accurate, right? So I still have to see you, right? The famous whites of the eyes line. So we're getting further and further away. Now, what does it take? You just fly an airplane. Drop a bomb. That's it. There's no humanity. There's no proximity. Violence is something that we keep distant. We don't even need to fly the airplanes anymore. We just send a drone. How easy is it? And so we're offended, I think, by the proximity to violence. But if you're there and you feel it, how can I judge? And even more so, like we talked about before, I think because of our American culture, this distancing from our emotions, from pain, from admitting our struggles, from seeking help, not only are we distant from violence in the global sense, but we're also distant from the violence that has been incurred against us. You hear me? I don't want to look at it close. I want to keep far away from it. Somebody else's issue, even if it's my issue. Walter Brueggemann is a theologian, and he writes of this psalm, he says, of Psalm 137. Psalm 137 is the voice of those who have lived longer and have learned with anguish that things would not immediately be righted. One cannot storm the gates. Venom against imperial policy does not bring sudden change. So this is a psalm for the long haul, for those not able to see change, but knowing that hope for change can be sustained in the long term. If I forget you, Jerusalem, if I forget you, Jerusalem, if I forget you, Jerusalem, what chutzpah to have Jerusalem, the promised city, ripped out from under you, violence incurred against your family, and yet still to hope in God's promises for Jerusalem. In fact, it's inspiring. 
It is important, Brueggemann goes on, that generation after generation we remember with the Jews that the present arrangements are not right, not acceptable, and not finally to be accepted. Psalm 137 draws its power and authority out of another vision marked by homecoming, which seems remote, but is not for one instant in doubt. There will be a homecoming to peace, justice, and freedom. This psalm is the ongoing practice of that hope against enormous odds. It is always lest we forget. And I want to fight against a misconception that you may or may not know you carry within you that forgetting about something is the same as being healed of it. Some of you have experienced pain in your past, and in order to escape it, you've forgotten about it. But your job's not to forget Jerusalem, the promises and the pains associated with it. Your job is to remember. And we also remember that our job is not, and this is really important in Psalm 137, to enact vengeance against those who incurred the pain against us. We don't forget, but justice is not ours to act out upon. What's it say? I will not forget you, Jerusalem, but remember who? Lord, Lord, you remember the Edomites. I will remember your promises all the ways in which it gives me hope and all the ways in which it seems unfulfilled. You, God, remember the Edomites and bring about justice. And even in the language about the infants, happy are those who would do this, but never on these lips are, am I going to set out to do this? There's a huge difference there. What is your Jerusalem? What is the thing that you thought was secure that you based your life on, that you stood on the solid, firm ground of, that at one point in your life just got ripped out. Forgetting is not healing. That's one misconception. And so I want you to think back, and I apologize if it's painful for you, but sometimes it's necessary. Think back. What are those hurts unhealed? What are those wounds that you just covered up? And there's another misconception, too, about psalms, because, again, I want you, at the end of this service, we're going to practice writing a psalm of lament ourselves just in a few moments, really. The other misconception that we need to keep in mind as you prepare yourself, as you start brainstorming, what, Lord, am I going to say to you, is the idea that in these psalms and in the scriptures, we're always the underdog. Here's what I mean by that. We like to read as if we are the Israelites escaping Egypt, not as if we're Pharaoh and the Egyptians. We like to read this psalm as if we're the people of Israel being sent into exile and slavery, not as if we are the Babylonians. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. We need to learn as well to read Scripture from the perspective that we are, like I said before, the bad guys. And the Psalms of Lament help us do this because they're Psalms of Lament about how, like this one, my enemies have encamped and encroached around me. There is no escape. Lord, deliver me. And there's also Psalms of Lament. David after Bathsheba, right? Wash me with hyssop. That our confession, 
and I lament the wickedness that I find in my own heart that's competing against the justice of God for the world. Now's the time to lament. As unfun as it is, Jesus says, sorry, Jesus' words now through Paul and Romans, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Right now, whether we like it or not, we're in a season of mourning. Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything. This is Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for rejoice and for celebration and there's also a time for weeping, for mourning. And right now is the time for weeping and for mourning. And so we're going to try it together. And I say together because lament is a corporate thing as well, right? Psalm 137 is about reminding each other what we've been through, lest we forget. I want to mourn with you. And I know the people here are willing to mourn with you if you're willing to to expose. And then we'll rejoice together. We need to go through the cross. So get your papers ready. Get your pencils, your pens ready. You've got a little insert in your bulletin. And for those of you online, you can see some of the outline pieces will be on the screen in front of you. There's a simple form and a complex form. Let's just focus on the simple form for now. Um, what you're going to do is write out a protest. I know it sounds weird, but in the next 15 minutes or so, we're going to spend time. You've got nowhere else to be. You're stuck in here. Word vomited out. Don't be ashamed, right? Write your protest. In other words, will you forget me forever? Why have you forsaken me? This should not have happened. Something along those lines. And then when you're ready, move to the to the, the phase of petition and say, Lord, answer me. Heal me. Heal this situation. Redeem my life from the pit. Right? And when you've made your petition, move to praise. Because it's the pattern of lament that we move from protest, petition, to praise. Because all of these laments, even as obscure as they are, are expressions of trust in the Lord. Now, I also want to make aware to you, you've got some reference psalms at the top. You want to spend some time just reading through those to continue to get a grip on what lament is before you write down your own thoughts. You can do that. And there is a psalm, Psalm 88. Psalm 137, which we've just read, doesn't necessarily end on a high note. Psalm 88 is similar. It never feels like it quite gets to that praise portion. The last word is darkness which is where all of his friends have left him. Doesn't quite get there. If you're in a spot where you don't quite feel like you can get to praise, you have permission to stop at protest and petition. But also know that eventually God will meet you and praise will come. This is our task for the next few minutes to begin to maybe explore parts of our heart and our history and our mind and our concern that we haven't let out for too long. And if you're willing, you don't have to finish this by any means, but if you're willing, by the time you finish writing this out, so that we can mourn together, would you please share this? And so we'll send out links as well. You can just take a photograph of this and send an email of it to Natalie or to myself. 
Um, we'll send a link out where you can retype it online so we can see. And then next week as we gather, um, with your permission, of course, we're going to share the communal lament so that we can, like Tracy asked us now a few weeks ago, carry each other's mats. Right? I'm going to invite the band up, and while they're making their way up, some hiccups that you might run into that I want you just to avoid, some barriers to lament. The first one is this fear that you've got to prove your righteousness. Unhelpful. God knows. Don't worry about it. Does the psalmist in 137 seem to be proving his own righteousness by declaring with such vivid imagery the violence that's inside of him or her? No. The psalmist's permission for you to forget in these moments about proving your righteousness to either to one another or to God, but in fact to lay bare what's going on. Um, and then the other thing is there's probably also moving around in us this idea that we're like complaining won't get us anywhere, complaining won't help. And just for now, forget about it. Lament. It's okay. Band's going to play a song. Listen, remember, lament, and then after a while, um, we'll sing again. I'll give you a benediction, and then go uh, carrying this paper as a starting place for you practicing lament in a season of life where we need to learn to mourn for our own histories, where we need to mourn on behalf of others, where we need to mourn so that we can be healed. Father, help us in these few minutes by your spirit, would you remind us? Would you enable us to share with you our pain and our struggle? And through the cross, through confession and through mercy and grace, God, would you restore us? Or need you bring justice in this world, even if we have to cry, how long, how long, how long? So 
time that I hold up my life against another one. And I envy what I cannot have and curse what I don't understand. How on this darkness shine a light. Remind me once again that I know now more than ever I know now more than ever I know now more than ever I know now that I am still so in Surely I must have grown out of this. I'd like to reach some higher ground. But what a sad life to live without grace and mercy. Grace and mercy that I am still so in need of grace and mercy. I know that you didn't have enough time to finish, but it's your job this week to continue practicing lament. 15, 10 minutes in a service isn't enough to root out some of the stuff that needs to be said. So it's your job this week, finish. And once again, I strongly, strongly encourage you, share them so that we can share them together. And receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, turn his face towards you. May his countenance shine upon you and may he give you peace now and forevermore, through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.